Well, before before we get into that, because oh. I can't not say this. Okay. So you, we, were, we were talking about pooping. <laughs> uh, and you said connect with us. And the first thing I thought of was the human centipede. And oh, oh, my God. Oh. Maybe you did edit. this to me. This is maybe your we should fault. edit that out. Uh, no, no. Uh, no, no. This is what we call B-roll. Well, Merry Christmas and an almost happy new year, Aaron. How are you doing this evening? I'm great. How are you? I'm all right. You are listening to the Drunken UX Podcast. I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other host, Aaron Hill. Hello. Aaron Aaron Hill, I've I have um, we've commented on the weather a lot when we start this, but I just I always find it fun because it's always so different at different points in time. And you got a foot of snow. And say it's not awesome there right now, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Folks, this is the Drunken UX Podcast, and it is brought to you by our friends over at New Cloud. You can check them out at newcloud.com slash UX. Go check them out if you need some maps, you need illustration services, you need an interactive map platform, uh, whatever it New is. New Cloud's got Braille maps now, right? Uh, that is on the roadmap and is being demoed with uh, a couple universities right now. But yeah, 3D printed Braille maps. If I, I saw some people. of those at uh, the some tweets from the Hyatt Web twitters it's pretty cool my favorite part about it was um the someone asking about the colored ones and asking why would <laughs> why would you do them in color people can't see them and but it's a it's a lesson right because it's that idea of being visually impaired being blind doesn't necessarily mean you see blackness you can right. still sometimes make out color and make out contrast maybe not fine shapes or fine details of things but there are degrees of disability in that area it's also like uh wheelchair access ramps right like everyone can use a ramp right yeah so like you know just because you can see doesn't mean you couldn't also find it i would find a 3d map useful yeah. everything from motor control issues to mm -hmm. you know reading uh, reading comprehension learning disabilities mm -hmm. the way we approach accessibility in its entirety you know comes back to breaking down those narrow kind of ways that we think about it and test it so i wonder if people cool. with like dysgraphia would find a 3d map more useful like if you have trouble like making sense of lines and things yeah um maybe <laughs> it's one of those things like it's hard to put yourself in in those shoes uh, <laughs> uh my favorite and this has been something that's actually been on our uh, short list not short list but on a list of, of show ideas but dealing with accessibility and uh, dyslexia as it applies to uh, two-factor authentication. Oh, oh shit. Yeah. So th you think about how many places now that we use uh, 2FA for AWS, for DigitalOcean, right. for your bank, for PayPal, you know, for your video game platform, Battle.net, right. or whatever. Like, we used, we've got two-factor authentication everywhere, but that can actually be a very problematic means of logging in if you mm -hmm. have trouble with number order letter letter order so or like when the sites someone on twitter recently mentioned how like a banking website wouldn't let you paste into the password field mm. so if you have a password manager or something you can't just like drop it in there you have to manually type it yeah it's a lot going on there folks this week we're going to be talking about uh it's a reflective period right we're at the <laughs> end of the year 
um, we are all kind of thinking about what's what comes next, what we're what we're doing, what projects we have, what goals we have. But we wanted to take this week and kind of take a look back on mistakes that we've made as developers, um, some of the problems that we've ran into that we have caused, and kind of what our response to that is. It's important, right, to know that everybody makes these mistakes at some everybody point. Poops. Everybody poops. Everybody poops. <laughs> and we continue to poop through all of adulthood and and through our twilight years, you know. So it's it's not about trying to not poop. It's about how you deal with said poop and the yeah. proper receptacles. This is weird. Please save the... me from this metaphor and tell <laughs> folks where... We can if you would bound. like to talk more about poop and other topics, uh, you can <laughs> connect with us on Twitter and Facebook.com slash UX or on Instagrams slash UX podcast or come and chat with us on Slack at DrunkenUX.com slash Slack for the sign up. What do you got there in that little glass there, Michael? I've got a little Glencarn glass here. I broke out my nice uh, scotch glass this evening. Mm-hmm. It's a, a a tulip-shaped glass, yeah, uh, yeah, as the nomenclature would call. Uh, generally used for scotch, you could use it for wine or, or bourbon mm-hmm. or rum or anything too. But um, design, you know, to help funnel the nose of something like scotch up to your nose, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to, you know, it, it, we drink scotch out of lowball glasses all the time. But a lowball right. glass has the disadvantage of allowing a lot of uh, uh, like the phenols and things like that to escape so mm. they, you can't concentrate it in if you're really trying to enjoy like a scotch from from palate to finish or from nose to right. finish rather um, so and I don't use it enough and I wanted an excuse to so here I am so what do you have in it I'm this assuming scotch Jura, yeah it's scotch uh, Jura tin okay. I've, I'm on the tail end of a bottle of Jura so I thought hey let's see if we can finish it although now <laughs> I'm looking at it and I'm like that's going to hurt. <laughs> but I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> I have a it's a mixture of tequila and um it's specifically Goya brand Jamaican ginger beer. It's an interesting blend. It's not bad. I basically I had like I had either this or a Lagavulin 16 and I I wasn't I wanted something lighter than scotch tonight. So, I finished off this tequila bottle. There is no such thing as lighter than scotch. You just get a Highland scotch. <laughs> I only have one bottle. <laughs> oh, fix that. <laughs> I know what I'm getting, Aaron, for Christmas. <laughs> uh, let's see. So there is an article over at Specky Boy. Is this on the internet? On the internet. And I like saying it just because I think the name Specky Boy... <laughs> is a fun website name to say. Specky boy. <laughs> it's uh, the five bad habits that can hurt your WordPress website. Eric Karkovac uh, wrote this up, and it's it's a nice quick read. I think uh, first and foremost, I actually wish he hadn't said hurt your WordPress website because I feel like the advice oh, yeah. that he's giving really is, it's just if you do web stuff, here are five bad habits to avoid. These are good. I, I'm looking through them now. They're they're good universal. I, I mean, these are definitely could be generalized to almost any kind of site. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so it's it's December, so I thought, hey, let's mention this real fast. We'll run through these five bad habits and just say, it's December. Take inventory of yourself. Take mm-hmm. inventory of the work you're doing or the sites you maintain and, and pay attention to some of this stuff. Um, and I'm I'm guilty of many of these. Number one, leaving unused plugins installed. Mm-hmm. For the Drunken UX website, for instance, I have, over the last two seasons, tested some different, like, podcasting plugins specifically for things like tracking um, and like setting up custom post types that will manage uh, that stuff. And when I settled on seriously simple podcasting, I didn't uninstall the other ones. I turned them off thinking, Mm -hmm. well, I might go back and test it. But the reality is I'm not. I'm hoarding plugins for no reason. Uh, So I might as well just (laughs) go in and delete those. So that is my task after we finish recording tonight is I'm going to go delete those. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's actually um that's good advice that applies also to like smartphones. If you have a smartphone, oh yeah. Just periodically go through your apps list and like any app that you aren't using regularly or that you don't really really need. Um you know that coupon app you used once and never again or like even like a a restaurant you have their app and you never order from them. You can always install it again later and they'll still keep your settings. Yeah. Like that's all in the cloud. But like delete the app from your phone because every app that's on your phone is a potential vulnerability. So like deleting apps that you don't use reduces your attack surface. And you have more room for those cat photos and Oh obviously, yeah. Yeah. But leaning on that and and kind of the rationale behind that is assuming Mm -hmm. your website is secure. Mm Mm-hmm. Never and you know, we've talked about this on this show about uh basic web security and things that go into that and uh, even insofar as, uh, you know, WordPress security plugins, it's like it's worth your time and effort to at least put a plugin in there and use it. Don't leave it unused, but use, you know, whether it's iTheme security or WordFence or any of those, do something and be mindful of the alerts you get and, and mm-hmm. set up blacklist options. If you're so inclined, go into your server and, and set up, a firewall, set up things to take care of, you know, fail to ban uh, and resources like that that can make sure that people can't hammer your site or do things Mm -hmm. just because it's WordPress and and we think of it as this highfalutin piece of software that's been professionally made for all these years and it's so mature and so robust. WordPress has flaws and or new flaws get created as a consequence of new code or things like that. So never assume security is just happening. Yeah. That's that is a I, good way this, to This is a really like simple bit of advice, but if you have a site that maybe you're keeping up but you don't regularly check into or update, just go visit it every once in a while and make sure nothing's awry. You know, like make sure it's still running and that your service provider didn't restart your server and the site didn't spin back up or that it didn't get hacked or yeah. any number of other things. Um, I, I literally, while we were recording, I just went into my site, which uses WordPress and I updated it to WordPress 5.3 and updated my plugins and themes. Um, and it's fine. But like, I just realized I hadn't done that in probably six months. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't let commercial licenses expire. This is a big one, I think, for anybody who freelances, and and well, you could be using Drupal, you could be using you know any number of systems. That if you have any kind of commercial licenses, a keep track of the schedule they're on, 
Mm -hmm. Make sure you're renewing them in a timely fashion um, and that you're taking care of them. But more importantly, make sure that if you hand sites off and you don't take care of them, make sure you tell your clients that they have something to keep up because nothing is worse than... We've inherited sites before that have been built by somebody else Mm. and we bring it in and it's running, you know, we do an inventory on it the best we can and things like that. But it, we've had times where the next year rolls around and we get a banner up in WordPress about a license key being expired mm-hmm. that was buried in one of the plugins. And we just didn't know, like we didn't know they were using the commercial because you know, a lot of those plugins have a commercial version or a free version. Right. And a lot of the times you you may not even be using the commercial features but right. it was included with a package of something or or whatever. So make sure you take the time to let other people know if they need to keep track of licenses. Yeah. Because uh, that can matter as well. You don't want that call on January 2nd from that angry <laughs> customer that you know something broke because you weren't thorough with them. And that only takes a second. I think just in general, like if you have any kind of recurring cost, um, it's good to... Just to keep that in mind, I either like if it's a if it's a small cost, like a, a domain registration or something, then you should set it to renew automatically if you know you're going to keep it up every year. Oh, just so you don't have to do think I, about it. I have a story for you. <laughs> <laughs> OK, good. <laughs> but I mean, like any kind of uh, cost like that, um, just I don't know if it's important, if you especially have like a production site depending on it, like, oh, my gosh, like. Put it on your calendar if you have to. Yeah. Don't forget. Uh, the uh, the sort of stepsister to don't leave unused plugins lying around, don't install multiple plugins to do the same thing. Oh, my gosh. Pick one. <laughs> uh, you know where I've seen this like as a real problem is with uh, like social media plugins, sharing plugins. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. They, somebody wants one that they like the way it works for Twitter but not other things, so then they use a different one for Facebook something mm-hmm. else or they're using you know a one plugin i've seen like a page will have the add this bar on it but then they're using a second plugin to put links in the footer of the rest of their site or something like that yeah. and i know why it happens you know especially if it's uh, something that a site owner has done you know not thinking about it but if as a developer you're doing that especially making something like sharing buttons making sharing buttons is that's not worth a plug-in, quite frankly, yeah. most of the time. But right. anytime, you know, you could have this problem with SEO plugins. That's one where, like, if people can't get 100% of what they want, it's like a one plugin does 80% of what they want, so they install mm-hmm. it, but then they install another plugin to mm-hmm. get the 20%. But the reality is they've just double-covered almost all of their features or, and options. Um... Contact forms. Contact forms. Or um, I, I actually had this problem. This is kind of a niche case, but with syntax highlighting plugins, um, I had, I think, I had two or three different ones installed at the same time at one point because, like, I wanted both, like, a syntax highlighted box, like, for blocks of code, but I also wanted the ability to, like, do inline syntax highlighting um, or code formatting. Um so I had I had to use two different plugins for it because neither neither of them did both things. Yeah, and it just comes down to this idea of how you know is that last twenty percent really that important at that mm-hmm. point? Like if you if you need to install multiple plugins to get a job done, you're 
probably in the territory where maybe you should just build the functionality yourself. There, so there's something that we'll talk about a bit later about why this is important. But um, if you aren't using a plugin anymore, just delete it. Uh, there, there's no reason to keep it around. You can always re-download it later if it's still being maintained. And if it's not being maintained, you don't want it anyways. <laughs> uh, so just if you're not using it, delete it. it. It reduces your attack surface for your site, which is for WordPress especially is really important. And it will just make it easier to maintain also. The last one on the list is not keeping personal backups. And <laughs> this is one that... It really gets into even, you know, our bigger topic for the evening. But, you know, there's this idea, a lot of uh, a lot of hosts, you know, if you use Bluehost HostGator, you know, they offer backups. They do backups uh, on sites, limited, in a limited fashion. And restoring them can actually be a little cumbersome if you haven't done mm -hmm. it before or if you haven't done, like, a fire drill with it. But it's always better to rely on yourself sometimes for that stuff and yeah. have things in a format and in a place where you control them. Uh, and that's, you make sure that I use updraft, like updraft is my go-to for when it comes to WordPress specifically install updraft. It'll tie like straight into Dropbox. And so you can have it run on a schedule and keep three versions of your site, you know, keep the last three days of your website in Dropbox for you. That's cool. That's it's like the perfect, you know, that that's, Underneath, or at least when I last did it, it was underneath the free version of the plugin. You didn't have to pay for any of that. And I'm really bad about that. <laughs> the, the great thing about it is, like at least the way Updraft does it, is all of it gives you separate uh, zip files for things like your themes, your plugins, your uploads. Um, it drops your SQL database into a file, mm -hmm. but they're all just that. Like they aren't stored funny or anything like that. It's mm -hmm. it's a SQL dump. It's folder dumps. So right. bringing them up on another site in another place, like let, let's say a server melts the fuck down and is just mm -hmm. gone, you can pick up those uh, those backup files, unzip them onto a new server into a clean WordPress file, load the SQL database in, and your site will just be back. Uh, it, that's a, a really clean. good point. Is to remember, especially with WordPress, that um, your site data like the WordPress installation, your themes, your uploads, especially like your images and other content, those are separate from your text content, which is in the database. Yeah. Like the database has your configuration and some of your text content. They are two different things. That's fair. And downloading your directory of your WordPress site is not going to save all of the stuff you've written. I would argue your database content is more important, but I mean having all those photos can be difficult to replace if you have, if that was the only place you had them. So yeah. it's good to back up both things. Um, it sounds like updraft does both. Yeah. Yeah. Updraft takes yeah. care of the whole shebang. Um, if you're a server level guy or you're not using WordPress, you always got rsync and SCP, mm -hmm. have it just zip up that directory and ship it off to another server uh, over, over SCP at, or, or SFTP or something like that. At the very least, if you go to tools, export, you can choose all content, download export file. I literally just also did this. <laughs> and it will grab you an XML file of all of your content, comments, etc. Um, and then if you ever have to like nuke it and start over, you can just do import and upload that XML. Um, 
it won't have your images saved. So right. you'll need to get those separately. If the site but, that you're importing from is accessible, it can try to import them, though. That's right. Yeah. It will try to pull them over. But I've I have had personally very mixed to not good yeah. results with that being uh functional so it's not good for disaster recovery but it is okay if you're doing like a site migration or something yeah it, it can sort of work but but for disaster recovery you'll you just want to make sure that you get the the wp content directory is the one that you need that's where all of your crap will be right so um, run so, run yeah. by specky boy uh eric's article's up over there it's on it's uh speckyboy.com slash bad dash habits dash wordpress we will, of course, also have a link waiting for you in the show notes at drunkenux.com. So, end of the year, coming off of this idea of here are five bad habits that can hurt your WordPress website... Uh, we thought, let's keep that train a-rolling. <laughs> and let's just talk about some of the ways Aaron and I have jacked stuff up over the years <laughs> and, and how we responded to that. Because it's, you know, it's one of those things, like, it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. And I've always yeah. subscribed to that idea. Like, the only way something is a failure, the only way something is truly bad is if you don't learn from those mistakes. And it's important to me for other people to know that we all make mistakes. You know, it's it's an imposter syndrome kind of thing that I, I we, we speaking to, of that, I personally find it very reassuring to know that other people fuck up too. <laughs> yeah. We were we were just talking uh, my coworkers and I were talking earlier about uh we we're parsing through some some stuff and um I I've only been in my job for not even a month yet and my one of my coworkers started a week or two after I did and our other coworkers only been there for 7 months. So like we're all pretty new to the app and everything. And I'm just like, man, like sometimes I don't know what the fuck they're talking about in here. And and he's just like, Oh my God, thank you for saying that. <laughs> oh, there's, there is a shared wisdom in, in that, you know, yeah. we're all different, you know, it doesn't matter how much experience you have. Yeah. You may be at a different point in your, in your travel, so to speak, you know, your journey mm -hmm. You're new at that place, and yes, exactly. Your your trust in your skill level doesn't always equate to trust in, you know, the way things work or the way things are done. You know, and you know how much experience you have. Like domain knowledge is something like everybody starts from page one when you started a new job. Yeah. So. The way this bit me, I remember quite distinctly. I started working at Pitt State in 2006. Mm -hmm. uh, that was my first like big like hey i'm I'm a web professional, I'm getting paid like a salary to make websites if uh I don't know if you remember do you remember urchin yeah, that urchin was Analytics. Google analytics like before it was g a right right yeah, before okay. g a bought it, it was called urchin google An or Google bought urchin back in two thousand and five and then rebranded it as Google Analytics. So it was just that next year that I had started it at Pitt State. So this whole thing of Google's got this free analytics thing you can put on your website. It gives you a ton of data. Like this was a, a new, uh, you know, it was Pandora's box, right? This whole world was opening up in front of people being able to say, we can get all of this data for free 
and, <laughs> and get so much more out of it than running something like, you know, a, a normal stats dashboard or something on the server. So one of the first things I did at Pitt State, I was young, I was eager, I wanted to, you know, make an impact right away. I said, I'm going to install Google Analytics on our website. Okay. We had just come through and uh, set up a brand new CMS. So it's like we had, I had an easy way to add the code to the template. What could go wrong? <laughs> well, I took the entire site down. <laughs> how how did you do Because it's just like a JavaScript include? I added one JavaScript file and brought our whole site down. How, how though? Uh, so to this day, I don't fully understand the technical reason behind it. The way I can explain it was this was my lack of technical expertise with the broader department at large because mm. I was responsible for the front end half of our website, not the back half. So uh. that's talking like the SIS, the student information system, you know, where people go mm -hmm. in to register for courses and maintain their transcript and all of that. That was an in-house, custom-built, bespoke application that was maintained in a different development department from where I was. Something about the way they had that platform configured on the servers and the way they were reading in cookies for the first party cookies. Mm -hmm. When I installed that script, it started generating new cookies, of course, for the Google tracking. And whatever it was about those cookies crippled that system, which in turn huh. crippled the server that ran everything. And so it just brought the site down. I'm sitting in my office. I got this little closet of an office. It's it's off a hallway. I have a window, but there's, of course, a shade on it. I have a door, and I have about nine square feet to my name. And I'm seeing yeah. people through the window kind of just moving back and forth. A lot more foot traffic than I'm used to. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody opens my door up, and they lean in, and they're like, you know the site's down? I'm like, what are you talking about? The site's not down. They're like, everything's down. <laughs> <laughs> this whole story of the thing was, we found out, they're like, do you, do you know anything about this cookie? This, whatever, you know, I, it wasn't underscore GA then. I think it was still, they were calling it, I think it was still underscore urchin or whatever. But I was like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, I just installed that this morning. <laughs> and they're like, that that broke everything. Now, I'm somewhat skeptical as to the fault there. Uh, I You can say, yes, I brought the site down because I installed it without thinking about it. I would argue that is not something that should ever break aside or take it down. But, <laughs> but it, it was, you know, my lack of expertise with the group. It was something, you know, that just, I didn't think about the need to even have the conversation to ask. I'm very much, uh, have you done like disc assessment before? Disc assessment? Yeah, like D-I-S-C? Yeah. It, Lowercase I? Yeah. That communication no. profile deal? No. I'm a I'm a DC, so I'm I'm a very like driven, deterministic, analytical kind of person. But okay. one of the quality traits of a DC is very, they're very much an ask uh, forgiveness rather than permission. Sometimes <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can yep, see that about you. <laughs> that was me. Uh, <laughs> so I broke the website, and but I learned an important lesson about a having those conversations with folks, even if I feel like there's no technical reason it should be a problem. There were certainly mm -hmm. other considerations that probably should have been had, whether mm -hmm. that was legal, tracking-wise, stuff like that, um, any obligations we may have had to third parties or something. Like, 
the likelihood of any of that is super low, but I should still have asked ahead of time. Yeah. Although, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't think to ask about adding a single line of JavaScript because I, I, I feel like that's purely client side and shouldn't break anything. I don't know. Well, and the other side of that too, though, is we didn't have a way to test it. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a development site. We didn't have a staging site. So the yeah. only way for me to even go about it was to just deploy it at that stage. Yeah, and we're going back. This was 13 years ago, which wasn't by any means the dark ages, but we definitely were operating, I think, with a very different mindset at that point in time, especially at the university level where, you know, pickings were slim, so to speak, from a yeah. resource standpoint. So today, I would absolutely, it's like... I have a dev server. I have a staging server. We've got QA that comes into the mix. We've got all, you know, not only that, we have to actually catalog the cookies and all of this kind of stuff. So there are layers that would even prevent something like that from ever happening now, um, at least, you know, for me. But it's still my hubris kind of, you know. (laughs) Uh, It was a lesson. It was an important lesson. And the what mattered was we identified it. I took it down that problem got fixed and then I was mm-hmm. allowed to roll my change out and we got it up and running within a couple of days. And, and it's like now all of a sudden we had Google analytics and it was great. It was, and the world opened before us. Hmm. Well, I, I don't think I've ever had a Google analytics crash a site, but I've definitely crashed sites before. I, I think, all right. So relating to the stuff that we kind of alluded to earlier with WordPress, the reason I advise everyone to, delete unused plugins and themes and update your plugins is because I had my site hacked many years ago because of an exploit in Tim Thumb. Um, Tim Thumb was a plugin that did uh, like kind of on the fly image resizing. That and fucking plugin. Yeah. So the problem was I didn't install the plugin. It was included in a theme right. that I was using. It was included in used. a lot of themes. It was really prevalent. Yeah. And so basically like some people figured out like, oh, these themes use Tim Thumb. So let's search the internet for every site using these themes. And you can tell the theme from the HTML source because it'll be in there. And so they, you know, do we just have a roster of like, okay, all these sites are using this theme or all these sites are WordPress sites. Let's just have this robot check every single one of them for this theme directory and look for Tim Thumb. And if you find it, then try to run this exploit on it. And so uh, my site got compromised and thankfully I did have backups. I was able to restore it. It was just, they did a rat basically. They, um, just infected a bunch of the PHP files. So I had to uh, run a regex and clean all of them out. But um, regardless, the preventive, the preventive measure for this is just uh, de- deleting your plugins and themes that you don't use. Yeah. And I think, right. Wasn't the specific issue there that the, the processor that Tim thumb used was exposed in a way that you could feed it a file, like a remote file, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it was something, or you could feed it a command that it would then pull in a remote file or something was was the issue. To their credit, they told everyone, like, once it was realized that this was going on, they said, stop using our plugin. It's This is bad news. But a lot of the people that did themes didn't know that. And so 
it ain't accidentally included an exploit for you. So one really Thanks, guys. good resource on that. If and I, I recommend this to anybody. If you do WordPress work, you should know about the site and you should check it regularly. It's uh WPVulnDB.com. It's literally mm-hmm. what it sounds like. It's the WordPress vulnerability database. And they keep a running day-by-day list of uh, any hacks that are found, whether that's in WordPress. They track plugins. They track themes. They explain, you know, is it an XSS? Is it a CSRF type uh, vulnerability? What What is the the deal? What versions does it affect? You can get email alerts for it. Um, there's an API you can pull in. There's an RSS feed. But it's a great way to keep up to date on what things are out there that you should know odds are 99% of them you'll never care about but the one day you catch <laughs> you know that one plugin that you do happen to be using for a free resource it will pay for itself i guarantee it but most uh the what really useful feature on that site is you can go on to the site you click on wordpress in the top menu and then you pick your version and you can find your version in your WordPress installation, I think at the top or something, you'll say what version you're using. Um, you find your version and then you click on it and then it tells you all of the current vulnerabilities and how they're fixed or more information about them. Yeah. And it really, you know, it, it will open your eyes, I think, to when I said earlier that, you know, there mm-hmm. there are a lot of vulnerabilities in WordPress. Like it's not a bulletproof system. It mm-hmm. it will really amaze you how much stuff there is uh, in terms of not just, you know, certainly plugins and themes, but the core vulnerabilities that get found constantly mm-hmm. um, through whether that's new vectors, new attacks, new exploits and operating systems, you know, things that are running behind the scenes that allow stuff to happen. So mm-hmm. it's definitely like as far as like any takeaway from tonight's episode that would be like the golden nugget I would give you, which is go get signed up for the, R- the RSS feed from that website so that you can keep track of, of WordPress vulnerabilities. Okay, so if that's the white hat site, there is a site that you should know about that's a black hat or maybe a gray hat site called Shodan.io, which is like Google, but for uh, vulnerable websites. And... There's like you can there's a free access like how you might use Google, but then there's also a premium access, which gives you a lot more power features. And so that's that's a way for attackers to find sites that might be vulnerable. So. Just it's just patch your shit. <laughs> <laughs> People will find it otherwise. <laughs> so I have a website I've maintained since 2012. Uh, it's a gaming website. It was something I set up mm-hmm. for a role-playing game that I thought okay. was really cool. I, I enjoyed the game. Um, I was excited about it, and there weren't any resources out for you. It was kind of a little small, you know, small market type game. Okay. So I, so I set this site up. Wait, what What game was it? Um, Numenera. Okay, I don't know it. Uh, it's a game that uh, Monty Cook developed. Monty Cook used to be a D&D Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I know that is. Um, so I set up this website for for this game, and... I'd been running it for since yeah since late 2012 um 7 years now over the last probably 3 years 4 years it's kind of been on autopilot a little bit I haven't really been mm-hmm. giving it any attention I certainly haven't been writing new content for it or anything and the site I I didn't know what to do with it anymore quite frankly 
And I talked yeah. to some folks about maybe taking it over or, or you know doing something to to update it. But a couple years ago, I did uh, I did something that was good. I got mm-hmm. off a bad habit where a lot of folks, when you first start doing web development or or first start making sites, you get your first domain names by virtue of buying hosting, right? You go to HostGator right. and you get a free domain with, mm-hmm. with the service. And they're like, yeah, if you sign up for us, you get a, you know, a free year of your domain. And it's just sort of included with your deal. Um, that's convenient, but it's also a terrible way to try to manage domain <laughs> names. Um, right. And they always, you know, their whole thing is, okay, now you have one. Let's try to upsell you on more. And, but they, of course, charge you more for those and all of this. And if you do this even a couple times, now you've got domain names in different places. So that's not not easy. So I mm-hmm. started moving all of my stuff over to one registrar. And I have since consolidated. I think at that point it was Namecheap was who I was moving it all to. Yeah. Um, but I actually ended up moving it all to uh, Google domains. Um, I've had really good experience with that so far, and it's been super easy. So I moved the domain for this website over to Google Domains. Now, what happens okay. when you transfer a domain um, is you get like an, an auth code um, that you have to pass through and all of this, and it, it it is released from one registrar. It goes over to the new registrar. You set up your zone files, all of this, um, this wacky stuff. But uh, the other thing that usually happens is you have to pay for another year registration. Okay. So let's say if if I had just renewed it and then decided I'm going to move all these to a new registrar, I'm going to have to add another year. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal because it extends your existing period regardless. It doesn't it like you're not double paying for the same year. Um so I did that. I moved it over to Google Domains and I said pay for the, another year and I'm good to go. That was 2 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then this year came. And so the lesson of this story is I lost the domain because when I transferred it, I forgot oh. to set auto renew. Oh, and damn! I got the emails, you know, that you get those emails that say, hey, your site's coming up for renewal in, you know, seven days, yeah. wag, wag finger. But in my head, I, I would see those and I, and I was thinking, oh, they're just the automated messages. No big deal. It'll auto renew. Right. And because oh I, my gosh. that has happened to me at other services. They say, "Hey, your domain's coming up for renewal." It's like it's a reminder in case you don't want to renew it at that point usually. Um, but I just I left it and one day my uh server monitor went off and it's like, "Hey, your site's down." And <laughs> the 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 bad irony was I'd been having some up and down problems on that machine, so I thought, "Oh, no, again, no big deal. It's just bouncing. The service is going to come right back." So I ignored those messages too. Um, long story short, I was stupid. Um, I yeah. was not attentive. And as a result, you can, after a domain expires, like truly expires, mm-hmm. you can still restore it for like a month, but it costs $100 to do it. Um, and yeah. I just wasn't interested in that. And I thought, well, it's an obscure site. What I'll do is I'll wait the month. I'll let it hit the market and I'll just try to re-renew it on like, <laughs> The thirty. Did someone day. else snatch it up? And yeah, it still got snatched up quicker than I could get to it. And wow. now there's some weird educational blog on the domain. Like it doesn't even make sense. But um, I had to go buy a new domain, 
rename everything on the site, um, oh you my know, God. update all that stuff. On the flip side, it kind of motivated me, and I'm like, I'm going to do something with this site now. So <laughs> we keep track of your, especially if you're a web developer and you've got a lot of domains. At the very least, make sure you have auto-renew on if you just want to be better safe than sorry. But otherwise, um, like we started out at the top of the show talking about the bad habits that can hurt your website, commercial licenses expiring, things that are on an annual cycle that may expire, domains lump in with that. So make sure you know the cycle those are going to be coming up on so you don't lose them because... Unless you're willing to pay the hundred dollars, because it's for me like that would have just been a hundred bucks out of my pocket, and I was like, it's right. I I don't want to lose the site, but I also don't want to spend a hundred dollars, so I'm just not. I think that uh, the days when you could have even an hour of time before a site gets snatched up are long past us. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um. So. This is unrelated to that, but um, there have been two different times when at jobs, when the first commit I made, like, broke the site. Um, The first time was when I was at Cornell. We used a a Perforce um, version control. And um, I, I think I was, I think I updated the version of jQuery we were using, and I didn't know it, but there was like a a regression problem with it and or or like we had something that was depending on an older version of jQuery, something like that. Anyways, I, I pushed it up and I was thinking like, oh, it'll be fine. No, it, it broke the whole intranet. So um yeah, that was fun. And um and, you know, to my cookie thing, you know, it's the same kind of deal, right? You wouldn't expect yeah. Something like that to necessarily right. be a problem. Right. Like that's you know normally it's just like yeah I'm just gonna update it. It's more performant. They've <laughs> added a couple features. Not they broke something that breaks all my stuff. Right. So my my first day at my job, I had never used Perforce before that. So my first day at my job, I learned how to do a Perforce commit and then also do a Perforce rollback. <laughs> <laughs> it it really so, man, and I'm glad you brought it up because I've broken stuff in git before like with merges and mm-hmm. stuff and or like a careless merge um i think we've all had that at some point where it's like oh this is overriding something but i don't know why that's there but i'm sure it's fine <laughs> um it, it's worth making sure you take the time to also learn stuff like git inside and out because if if you have to yeah. cherry pick or, or revert or, or anything like that like I get into to muscle memory real easy, but then uh-huh. if I have to work outside of that, sometimes it gets a little iffy. <laughs> yeah, if you if you tend to use Git through the command lines or the, through the graphic tools, like in your IDE or whatever, um, take an adventure and go try to learn how to do it from the command line because there's some things that are just easier to parse through when you're doing it from the command line. Yeah. Um, the other, the other one was at my last job. The first commit that I pushed up was just, it was just adding a tracking pixel to, uh, the site, but I, I forgot to close my if tag. And so, um, some of the pages on the site were erroring. See, that's, that's just about as bad as the, the Google adding a tracking pixel that should do nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. This is like a legitimate syntax error on my end. I, I think. I know. I think it. I think it did get merged in. Um, it was really. It was really easy to overlook it because it was like 
because the beginning and the end of the if block were really far apart. Yeah. Um, so, and depending, like we use a, a language called Velocity, which mm-hmm. doesn't have very good syntax support in VS Code or or uh, Atom or anything like that. There's some, but it's just not great. And so mm-hmm. it, you know, from like a linting standpoint or anything like that, like it, it's not the apps aren't good at alerting you to something like a missing end or is if you've ever been in especially like complex um conditional statements and stuff where you've got ifs inside of ifs inside of ifs sometimes you take some of those out or you take out an else or you know things like that and (laughs) all of a sudden you end up with an extra end or an extra if or an extra curly brace mixed in there and right like if depending on the way your code compiles and runs or or doesn't compile you know depending on the language um yeah catching that stuff can be a real pain in the butt. It also speaks volumes to the importance of a review. Yeah. We, uh, you know, if you are a freelancer, that's one of the big things that super sucks because it really does mean you have to rely on yourself for a lot of your success. Mm -hmm. And one thing I learned early on was about like, just because I can make something work doesn't necessarily mean I'm making it work the right way or the most optimal (laughs) way. And if I didn't actively search out people to look at code, I would never have been able to learn those kinds of things. And, and even then it's still an imperfect deal. Like you say, it, if your stuff got merged into in the master and got through all those other people, whoever was looking at it, we've had that, you know, you go code blind sometimes, especially if it's a big change, like, you know, we'll have some PRs that it's like, yep, we, we took, the white class off of this div so it would be gray you know so it's like yeah i've got to check off the simple reviews so i just hit the button um right but i totally missed that they when they deleted the class name off there they deleted a quote mark too <laughs> you know review is imperfect in and of itself but it it is still incredibly valuable um I think also this is a good reason to have um, like an automated test suite, especially one that does oh, yeah. like even just like the most basic integration tests. Like if you have if you even if you had a test suite that just like pinged every like major page on your site and just made sure it got a 200 back when it loaded. I mean, that's. that's it, like 50 percent of the work right there, because then like if a page is having trouble loading, you'll know instantly. So. I mean, it doesn't catch everything, but it'll at least be like that first line of defense of uh, preventing you. Yeah. Uh, Cypress <laughs> is the one that I've been using. Cypress? I have fought, not, I shouldn't say fallen in love with it, but it, it has definitely been my favorite testing suite to date so far. Hmm. My last uh, little story for tonight is it, it's a mistake. It's also a bad habit. Um, and the way I phrased it in the show notes is it can't be that easy, can it? The The reason I say it that way was because I have a habit of sometimes over or underestimating, rather, the amount of work that can go into something that feels very simple. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we always look at work and we think, oh, well, that's just adding a, a such and such to it. Oh, we'll just add a button to it. it. That's nothing. That's not a big deal. Oh, we just need to add an option to that select box. That's, man, that'll take 30 seconds. And a lot of the time it does. But there's definitely, I think, a 
a point where I need to still at this stage, I need to be more skeptical of my confidence. I think in terms of mm-hmm. how quickly I think I can get some things done because uh, there are so many cases where there may be downstream considerations that come into play. There may be, you know, especially when it comes to CSS, when you think about, oh yeah, we'll just we'll just change the font on that header. And then you get in there and you realize, well, the header definitions are set up, you know, they actually impact three different sites. You know, they're all using right. the same base files. They're importing this stuff. If you change it here, you're actually going to change it in these other places. Uh, it's like, it's simple, but it's not. And yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hubris that goes into assuming that, that something is a simple change and that you're the first person to discover it. I definitely have noticed I've, I've been learning not to do that as much anymore and, and do as like, I like to ask first now, especially if it's with like a, a part of a code base that I haven't used before. If I'm like, Oh, well, this seems like a really obvious thing. Why hasn't anyone done it? I'll just do it. And then it's like, no, wait. (laughs) Yeah. Where mine has really bit me like right now today, um, Mm -hmm. I'm literally at the tail end of a boot camp that I've been taking for uh, like React and some advanced JavaScript stuff. And so I'm working on my final project. And I I picked uh, an idea for a site. Very simple thing. I wanted to make a little simple... uh, like single page web app uh, that you'd go in and you would just log some data in and then it would spit that data back out um, from an aggregate to give you a little chart and give you some averages and stuff out of it um, for a game that I play. And I thought super easy. I'm going to make a Gutenberg block. That's going to just embed a react app in it. That will use the WordPress CLI to um, submit to a custom post type. I'll pull the custom post type and then math, you know, like that's all that has to happen. In my head, very simple. In my head, very simple. <laughs> in, in my head, very simple. As I've been building it out, I've started getting into things like having to figure out, okay, now I've rendered my React app, and I'm, I've got my component for my select box, but when that changes, then i got to bind an on-change event to that because I need to show and hide different fields based on it. Now, right? do I need... To do that with an event handler, do I need to do an on change? Is the fact that it's already rendered, does that matter? And then I get to thinking about, wait, my results page, I need to do it in space, but if I take the React app out to put my results page in place, do I break the the app to re-render? Like there's all of these like things that you know, where do I include the uh the WordPress API JavaScript and all of this. Like, where does where should I in- include and enqueue that in this whole thing? Um, right. It it's stuff that if you've done it, and once I get over the hump, you know, it will all be beautiful and easy, and I, I'll probably be able to reproduce it a million times over. But I definitely would say it's about five times harder now that I'm trying to get the code written than mm-hmm. what it was when I, you know, outlined it for the teacher, you know, oh, wait, I have to make sure they're logged in. I have to make sure that we're authenticated and that we have a nonce when we submit these things so that, you know, it's it's secure and not getting spammed and all this. You know, it there's just so much there. And, and I underestimated, I looked at it, and I thought it was going to be super simple. I let my confidence get in the way. And 
it, I say it's a mistake. It's a bad habit more than that. And <laughs> I think that there's a lot of value in always questioning yourself a little bit and mm-hmm. admitting that. And just because something that looks easy isn't easy, that doesn't mean that you failed at something or that you didn't do something right. Um, a lot of the times the easiest stuff is hard explicitly because a lot of other folks have written something that depends on it or, you know, generating that one line of text requires internationalization libraries to come into play or, you know, things like that. So just keep a healthy dose of skepticism on hand for yourself and just, uh, and use it. Don't, you know, don't use it like as an excuse or as a way to beat yourself up. Just get better at estimating. Especially if something is a, an app that if you didn't write the app or the app isn't really, really, really new and something looks easy, just take it from my experience. Ask first and ask like if anyone's considered it and why it hasn't been done. If the answer is like, oh, well, we didn't know you could do that. Great. That's probably a green light that you can do it. Otherwise, what's more likely the case is like, oh, yeah, we tried that. It didn't work because of this. And then you just saved yourself like, you know, three hours of and maybe a site breakage. <laughs> All right. So I got one. Um, I A long time ago, I was embarrassed by this. but uh, And I think I've mentioned it on the show before. But so many, many years ago when I was first starting as like a like as a professional web developer, right? I worked for a uh, municipal government in Indiana and I was a, um, I, I was officially, I was just like, you know, help desk or a technician person, like a bench technician fixing computers and doing whatever else. But I was also the only person on our staff that had Linux experience. So I was also the Linux sysadmin and I was like, Oh, like I'm going to teach myself MySQL and PHP. And I did. And I built a CMS and I accidentally allowed it to have, I I didn't sanitize my parameters and I introduced a SQL injection bug. (laughs) And thankfully the person that discovered it was a friend of mine who worked in the computer forensics at the police department. And he was like, Oh yeah, if you do this, it logs you in as the admin. And I was like, Oh Thanks for finding that. <laughs> well, I can officially say that uh, I didn't finish my Jura. I still have a little <laughs> bit left in this bottle, so that's probably for the better. Folks, I hope uh, I hope these mistakes have helped you feel better about some of yours. I would love to hear, um, especially from people who have you know faced adversity from from this kind of stuff and. You know, because it's it's not just about making the mistake; it's about how you rebound from it and and what you do to to overcome those things and committing. You know, for me, like the the last one, my habit of underestimating the amount of work. My solution to that is committing to you know twenty twenty. I'm gonna start paying attention when I say something takes eight hours. Maybe I'll keep a clock and and try to see was I right? Did I underestimate that? Um, and try to hold myself honest to adjust for that so how you react is really sort of the measure if your site gets hacked did you turn off the things that made it vulnerable did you do something to make sure that you're checking your plugins do you make sure you're getting your code reviewed before a commit whatever those cases are so let us know we'd love to hear what uh, what you do or, or have done and and how you made up for it because 
Hey, I, I would like to know. <laughs> I I think it's part of I think like what you said earlier in the show is it makes a lot of sense. Like it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. And I I think it's good it's good to be wrong and having a good culture of like peer review uh, can help these mistakes, which are totally normal and happen to all of us. It can help them be uh, sparse and low impact. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenUX. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenUX. Thanks for listening this evening. The last, is this the penultimate estimate? Penultimate, estimate. yes. The penultimate episode for the year, not estimate. Uh, thanks for tuning in again. We're going to do some fun stuff next time. Maybe. I don't promise anything at this point. <laughs> Get really weird. It, dude, it's crazy. This <laughs> is the end. This is the second year. I was When I was telling one of my friends about this, that who may be a guest later, next year, um... I was like, yeah, we're finishing up our second year, which is just wild. Two years. You're welcome. I've pushed you hard. Yeah, <laughs> You have. Um, folks, if you have any ideas for us, if you've got topics you would love to hear us cover, if you'd like to be on the show or know someone who might make a good guest for the show, by all means, reach out to us. Uh, you can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at slash DrunkenUX. You can run by the website, DrunkenUX.com. We've got a contact form there um, that... Is, has a, a box where you can explicitly say, hey, I want you to talk about this. So you can shoot us a message through that or jump on Slack with us at drunkenux.com slash Slack. We've got uh, that open and welcoming to anybody who wants to hop in. Come let us know. Uh, like I say, we are wrapping things up. Season 3 will be on the way. We will start fresh in January. You will see no uh, lapse in time. We will still be releasing every other week uh, as we get into that, but Lots of new stuff to talk about. We've been collecting our articles and making our notes. and uh, I, <laughs> We do have a guest to open that up. The, we were supposed to have actually this episode would have been uh, a, a final guest for the season, but we did have to do some rescheduling there. So instead, we will launch season three with that. So still incredibly <laughs> excited for that interview because I think you're going to really enjoy it. We've got some fun information to share there. Outside of that, uh, I hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. You will hear us again right before that, right? I think, yeah, mm-hmm. right right before Christmas is when we will finish things up. Uh, if when you're it, driving to your families or making a turkey or whatever, wrapping presents, you can throw us off. maybe be entertained by us. <laughs> if you get a second, leave us a like or a review in your favorite app. Uh, we appreciate the support and loving kindness that everybody shares with us. Uh, shoot us a message on Twitter let us know what your favorite episode of the year so far has been 
Uh, other than that, I'm going to leave you with a handy piece of winter advice. Uh, it's the sixth bad habit that you can add to your list, which is to keep your personas close and your users closer. Bye-bye. See ya. <laughs>